The following episode contains sensitive content. It is recommended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We acknowledge the traditional owners on the land on which we meet and the land on which you are listening. We pay our respects to the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the country on which this podcast was recorded. This podcast was produced in a private residence in Marrickville, Sydney, and is a completely independent production. We do not act on behalf of any organisation or sponsor. Our views are entirely our own. You're about to join a conversation between two women from Sydney, Australia, talking about losing their loved one to suicide. It is unscripted. This is ordinary people sharing their lived experience. This is Talking Lived. important for you to identify a reason why um are there, are there like is it more than one why yes <laughs> and I, I bet you'd probably be nodding and saying yes it it the the why that you are left with when someone dies in this way it's actually the biggest part of the emotional and exploration process don't you think in small ways and in big ways but it is always with you and it's you're left with cavernous wise yes and sometimes you you I sometimes think I've come to a settlement about what were some of the key things that you know led to this certainly in therapy where I went to a counselor and they talk a lot a t- A useful technique for me, the counsellor talked about something called radical acceptance, which I had never heard of before. But it's never heard of that. No, and it's a concept that basically says you're not saying it's okay. Nothing you are not accepting this and saying it it was all right that it happened. But what you are saying is given all of the factors that were in play, there is no other way this could have turned out. And that sounds a really confronting thing for me to say, but for me to hear that, now your choices might have been different, but the fact is your choices weren't. Their choices weren't different. So given all of the shit that went down and the way it unfolded, there is actually no other way that this could have turned out. Maybe that's a terrible thing for me to introduce into the conversation, but it was part of me that made me kind of go, I have to accept this. I have to. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't have changed it. Really, just because you're saying you can't go back and get in a time travel machine and change it, it's done. Um, and that kind of helped me. I don't know. What, what do you think? Yeah, that's, that's really interesting, Tanya, because, um, you know, the word acceptance, I guess, is a, is a sort of a sticky one for me as well. And, you know, the reason why I think I've introduced earlier is, you know, I have in my head uh, a a model, an Excel spreadsheet model that puts in every negative and positive characteristic of and circumstance and situation of Gabby's life. And, you know, I'm constantly re um, putting different percentages on those variables to try and see, you know, What's the best, you know, how can I change the outcome? And I think that's part of it. After a suicide, we know rationally 
We cannot change the outcome. The outcome is done. It is finished. It is over. We can't relive that again. But that actually doesn't stop this compulsion to keep revisiting it and keep trying to find a way to create a different outcome. And did say to me once, oh, it's because you don't believe in God that uh, you can't accept this. If you, if you prayed, you could accept it. And, you know, that was just like red rag to a bull for me because it's like, well... That's that whole white-hot rage we oh. talked about in another episode that oh. comes in at that point. I'd be losing my mind. <laughs> I just thought, look, I'll, I'm not saying I don't ever accept it, but uh, I really feel like you... You just have to give me the time. You need to, as a grieving person, you know, you need to trust that I'm going to get there. I'm not going to stay unaccepting. I have to accept it. I have no choice but to accept it. But don't try and rush me there, please. And please trust my own process. Trust that I'm intelligent and alive enough and engaged enough to come to my own understanding about that. I am doing the work with the counselors and you know other people and you need to please just be more than anything I need you to be on my side and if you tell me I need to accept it it feels like there's another enemy in the camp another foe I'm already in the corner feeling like I have to fight off the wolves and if you talk to me like that I feel like you're another wolf so more than anything I need to a sense that to come to acceptance, I need to have a sense that the ground is safe underneath me, that it's not going to disappear, that, um, you know, that I will be able to have a good life, that uh, regardless that my daughter's not here, that there is, that there is a future and it is a heartbroken future uh, without her, will always be heartbroken and honestly, if there was any single thing I could do to turn it around, I would. I don't have a choice and I really have never heard that word radical acceptance but I think that's true if there was something we could have done to have prevented it uh it we would have and we didn't it didn't so we have to accept the reality of where it's at now I love the way you've put that sorry I just I just had to say it it's just it was so beautifully put because it it comes down to who's doing the accepting if someone's trying to tell you you need to accept it, like the old chestnut, it's time to move on, mm. like nothing will make us charge, you know, like the raging bull more than that, it, it's coming to a conclusion yourself, a place of, I don't know, understanding about what happened. And as much as I've said, well, radical acceptance is a great concept, it helped me, you don't always stay there. So no. I have more days where now, three and... Mm plus years on, I have more days where I'm like, okay, this is life now. I, and I would not have chosen for it to be like this, but this is how it is. But there are also days where I really don't accept it. Mm. And you're back where you were. But yeah. it's just that there's, on balance, there's less of those days. Mm. Um, and some days are just always going to be shit. Yeah, I still have the most extreme shit days, and that's a shit day. But the difference now is I can say to myself, oh, well, that was a shit day. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a perspective on a shit day rather than being in the middle of a shit day that you're never going to get out of. Yeah, and it's not linear. 
as we said, it's not linear, Completely. there's no straight line. Mm. You, you circle back all the time. And you never know when it's coming. No. <laughs> Did Gabby leave a suicide note? Was there sort of a... Maybe I can rephrase that. Was there kind of a trail of clues, looking back, that, that give you insight into why things unfolded in the way they did? Mm. So Gabby did leave a suicide note, which I didn't see until probably relatively recently, maybe a year or 18 months ago. Uh, it was given to her partner. It, he shared it with me, like it was given finally back to him from the coroners and the police. It was a hard note to read. and But the story around the suicide notes is that for the last few months before Gabby died, I was seeing, we, we had a practice where you'd have a little exercise book sitting around the house, pre-mobile phones, where you would leave messages, you know, always shared messages for the house. You've gone out, you go, cook tea in the oven, leave it for 10 minutes, or don't forget to put the keys to the bike out the back because blah, you know, all of those little things. Um, and then sometimes other messages, and you know and always be a love heart gabs or a love mum you know you just your little messages to each other of daily life and so Gabby always she had a lot of trouble because Gabby had had a lot of drug use she had a lot of trouble remembering things and keeping tabs on what had to be done and so there was always lists always lists you know whippersnipper blah 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 I mean we all do lists anyway but there was a, a book with lists and sometimes when I would turn up at her house in the few weeks before she died, I would find these dry run suicide notes, which was basically, I love you, I can't stay here, look after my dogs, goodbye forever. And these kind of scribbles. And some of them, they were so nonsensical. And it's so funny because so much of the really terrible things, my my gut instinct is to laugh at them like oh what kind of suicide notes that you know like this most ridiculous thing you you've done four lines you haven't spelled anything right you, you know like and then you just go oh critical mother what what the hell is going on here is this even real it's like so removed from the reality that somebody's life is at threat at this very minute but I can remember picking up this book thinking oh my god like I'm so glad that um, this is not the only thing I've got left of her. That would be so confusing. If I arrived here and found her dead body and had this stupid scribble note, and then she would explain it to me later. It's like, oh, good, we got the explanation later. Yeah, I just, this happened, that happened, and then everything would be all right. So I would just, there were a lot of suicide notes, and uh, wish I had have known to put a greater store on them and also at the same time a lesser store I would really implore anybody who is waiting to get the suicide note or who infers a meaning from a suicide note please it really gives you no insight into that person's death or the reasons for their death 
I think suicide notes are the person who is suiciding talking to themselves about what they're doing and it is usually from a very dysfunctional place so I don't think you are going to get any valid information and no matter even if someone's tried to tie it up with a bow I just think it's going to be so incredibly unhelpful but it goes back to that point where we want the answer what is the answer why would what is so terrible about being alive that you would do that and there is no answer to that yeah i i would agree that he that this idea there's the whole mythology around the suicide note that i don't think is helpful at all and jason wrote a lot of things that could have been construed as suicide notes it was this constant horrible conversation that he was having with himself again that white hot rage but pen and ink to paper you know he and you're not having a conversation you're not seeing into that person's it's not some kind of um incredibly um clear perspective on what is going on in that person's soul or in their heart or in their mind what you're seeing is in our case anyway was someone who was really really ill um mm. so it was and look our, our i should probably preface these comments because we do have quite a dark sense of humor in our family it's very very much shaped by jason jason was mm. a one of the funniest people that i've ever met and his humour absolutely is every day it's with us. It, it's shaped the entire culture of our family. But the notes that Jason left on his computer, he'd leave notes on his phone. He'd also draft emails to himself. All of these things he left after he died, you could definitely, con you could consider them fragments of like a suicide conversation that he was having with himself. And my daughters and I, obviously reviewed some of this afterwards because they absolutely as young people had a very very desperate search for why why their dad had done what they'd done and what was going on with him leading up to it and as one daughter said these letters are it is like they have been written by a, an evil genius in an after school special like it is it is the the weirdest most overstated dramatic writing it was like this isn't dad i don't know who and it was him he had written them it was all of his no one had written those for him it was all part of his private laptop but even it wasn't his voice it whatever was in him unwell driving um, you know, the decisions that he was making, it was all being spewed out into... So, yeah, I'd agree with you that don't put too much stock in the suicide note. Maybe it'll give you an answer, but what it's also may give you is a really skewed <coughs> sense where you're actually not... It certainly may not be the person that you knew at all. And, and, and they may be desperate pleas for help. <laughs> the feelings of um, about the question of why how have they changed over this time they've changed a lot I think I, I've come to I think a, 
it's weird. There's a personal understanding that you come to, I've come to as a partner about some of the factors that I think were at play in Jason's life. And a lot of them had been with him the entire time that I knew him. So the why for me, in answer to that question for him, was it is definitely tied to someone who had a lifelong struggle with depression that goes that can be traced right back to childhood. It was something he talked a lot about throughout our entire marriage. It it governed all of his adult life. Every day was about his management of what was at times crippling depression. And there was anxiety and stuff going on now. So in terms of the question of why it has changed over time, that's a kind of fairly stable one. That's the one that is an ongoing one. It, un it underpins all of the other little whys. But Jason's daughters and I as a family, that conversation won't ever stop. You know, that the girls were saying um, just the other day that they've pretty much come to the conclusion they think, working with their counsellors, reading, because you read ferociously after something like this um, to try and kind of get to those whys, um, that they think he probably had an undiagnosed personality disorder. And I, I think that, that they might actually be onto something there um, because that explains some of the other gaps and the, ex the extremes in mm. the behaviours. And we absolutely know now, looking back, that he was in the grip of a really raging addiction um, to both prescription meds, but also black market prescription meds that he was sourcing and buying directly from overseas. So he was on the dark web buying vast amounts of basically making his own chemical cocktail to try and treat his depression. Yeah, well, you've got to um, give him full marks for trying. <laughs> Absolutely. What about you? Do you feel that the your sense of why mm. has changed over time yeah. or, or not? Well, I still feel like it was just an extreme accident, as I've said before, but I also feel there was an, in, an in intention. There were difficulties for Gabby that she had had lifelong you know, there was an incident when she was 16 years old and, uh, you know, we had taken these kids back from a party, year 10. I had a little Datsun 120Y and they were all 5Ks out of town at this party. And I had a, a car that was overloaded with teenage girls, but you think, oh, 5Ks, we'll just, rather than doing two loads, we'll just trot this car back into town. And halfway through, we found somebody had um, left their bag behind, so we chucked a Yui to go back. And as we did, we uh, it's a narrow country road, and a car came across around the corner, across the verge, thought, oh, they've got plenty of time to see us, they'll stop. We'll just do, couldn't do a Yui, it was a three-point turn. And lo and behold, they smashed into the front fender of our car. And it was a fender bender. It wasn't bad. We got out. It was all boys, a carload of boys who had been at the party. And, um, you know, I said, oh, sorry, they didn't see us because the headlights are off into the paddock. So they didn't see us till they were nearly on top of us. And that's why they hit. 
But Gabby had this idea that it was intentional. He was a boy from the party and they did that on purpose. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this. It was like being in the Wild West and I'd seen it, but I'd never experienced it. And that is that um, Gabby had a carload of teenage girls. He had a carload of teenage boys and Gabby threw this punch at this driver and it was like every girl attacked every boy that was there. It was like a full on, like instant brawl. And it's like a lot of this, I'm half laughing and half like going, oh, this isn't good, but this is really hilarious. I'd never been in that situation before. And I literally sort of, I was like, Gabby, it was an accident. And I was a lot fitter and stronger. I was doing martial arts back then. I had to throw my body on her back and hold her hands down and say, Gabby, it was an accident. It wasn't intentional. He didn't mean to do that. And she's going, you did that on purpose, you bastard. And like totally going for him. And all the girls are fighting all the boys. And I'm just thinking, what has happened here? And anyway, eventually she stopped and I said, see, it was an accident. And then we're just talking to her. And this guy, he was injured, like she'd injured him. And I was going, thinking, oh God, he's gonna charge her with assault or anything. Next thing you know, she often did it again. After we'd, I thought I'd calmed her down, she bolted again. And literally, I, I mean, I got pretty cut up in trying to drag her off him. So we went home that night. That guy was pretty good. I think he was like, WTF, like what? is going on here what happened and I was all apologetic and she was apologetic and I never laid charges or anything like that but that was the first moment in Gabby's life where I was just I was sick to the stomach because it was hilarious and terrifying in equal measure and I thought there is really something wrong with my daughter she because she could not see the reality that this wasn't an intentional situation. She was convinced that this person attacked us wow. and was defending us. And she'd come to that conclusion That's and it right. was, there was no swaying her from There was no swaying her from that understanding. She's like, he did that on purpose, you know? So I was, I, that was the beginning point where I, I worried about her ever since that day. And I know I've digressed away from the, no, but it, the it, question. That it is an the insight is that there was long standing some challenging piece, and I will never fully understand it. You know. Do, look, do you, and do you mind me asking? Did she ever get a diagnosis for anything? Because there's probably a, I don't know. That's there's probably a diagnosis related to something to do with so that. So it's funny you mentioned personality disorder because Gabby had been studying. She tried to do social studies in year 10. She'd done a bit at TAFE. She'd done another few subjects over in Western Australia and she did another few subjects in Newcastle Uni when, you know, a few years before she died. And she never actually got the full degree, but she's always trying. And I think in part she was trying to self-diagnose yeah. um, by looking at, oh, this is what everybody does because as she yeah. was very clever like you Jason. Yes. And she said to me one day, she goes, borderline personality disorder, uh, that's the absolute worst because they just can't fix them. And when we, the first time she went into the hospital after the first attempt and the psychiatrist said uh, borderline personality disorder, he diagnosed right. her that, that very day. 
And I think she just thought, oh, she had a belief system that there was no hope for her because, yeah. and, you know, maybe they need to not be so flippant about these kind of things or they don't understand what this person understands. And there's so much stigma about borderline personality disorder and, yeah. you know, like, um, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Anyway, so that's the diagnosis she got and I don't know how much, back to the mental model, how yeah. much of what contributed to what. Yeah. I, I will never know why and in one sense. But I've stopped... I've stopped asking. The other, there's one other point actually that I really want to touch on, and that is sometimes what is really scary when somebody else closely involved in the situation decides they understand why and try to tell me. That is a terrifying situation for me because I feel like, oh, okay, they they are the ones trying to define her life and define me, and th that is really unsettles me. So how far have you been prepared to go in the search for, for the answer to that question, why? Mm. Well, I think it's very compulsive, particularly in the beginning. It's very, you, you are desperate to find some answer. You are desperate to be able to make sense of it. And, you know, I, w I would caution people that you, the more you dig, that you might find many things that will only add to your questions. Uh, and may not and may create even more confusion and uh, you know never lead you to an understanding it more, more information isn't greater understanding it can be more confusing so it's it's uh, in my professional life I've spent a lot of time telling people you need to have a tolerance for ambiguity and you know the more greater tolerance you can have for ambiguity the faster you're going to be able to move forward with holding a lot of unknowns in your hand and not forcing an answer to those unknowns before you move forward. And um, honestly, never in my life would have I have thought that lesson would apply so strongly to me. So what about you, Tanya? Have you, how far have you gone in search for answers? I, I'd agree. It, 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 it is an obsessive thing. I think it's sort of the nature of it for a while, isn't it? And it, mm. it begins, I think, with trying to almost trace back through what happened that day. So it starts a really narrow search, but it inevitably spins back out to events that happened years ago, conversations that that person had or comments that they made years before that you revisit. You know, Jason was, I remember um, a conversation that I thought I'd forgotten in this last couple of years. I remember him saying, well, that person will outlive me. You know, it was in a much older person in his family. Like, you think, right. did he? Okay, was there kind of, had he come to an understanding or a sense of resignation that at some point he was going to do this? And it had always just been this kind of really morbid backdrop mm. to what shaped his behaviour. And it was more than that. I mean, he, he would even have conversations, the specifics about his funeral, in a way that was more specific 
that, and I'm talking years ago, you know, at a fairly early point in our relationship. And I revisit those and go, is there a bit of an answer buried in there about someone that kind of, that this, when someone has a struggle with depression that's so profound and so chronic, is this an underlying narrative that is just there bubbling under the surface all the time, mm. you know, um, that he's struggling with? And there's, there's no limits. I think the, the box of answers that you might go to, the box of possible answers, encompasses that whole person's life. So, you know, I think about Gabby, like I didn't see her for three days when she was first born because I didn't, there was a lot of pressure to adopt her out. I didn't know if I was going to adopt her out. And when I wanted to see her, they made me wait for a social worker before I could, which took two days. So... I even go back and go, oh, was it because she was separated from me from the first three days of her life that this was set up, you know? And there's, you know, 100,000 events um, since then. So the box of answers is endless and potentially potential answers is endless. And yeah. then being a young mum, oh, I was a pretty crappy mum for a long time. I wasn't grown up. So it's very easy for me to put the why onto, oh, well, that was, isn't it funny, the why, I've switched the why to the blame, you know, like accountability to, okay, you had a, you had a shit childhood, let's face it, I recognise it. And part of wanting to do this podcast and talk and be open about it is that I want people to understand the degree of difficulty that yeah. she had in her life. It wasn't just... It's not a level playing field. Not everybody has the equal uh, resources and abilities and somehow internal resources or fortitude or whatever it is. I don't know what it is. Yeah. If we knew, we wouldn't be asking these questions. But I like the way you talked about why and blame as connected things because they are. Because, like, blame sort of is the in this instance when we're mm. in, in this terrain – Blame is definitely wise, ugly cousin, let's face it. It's there. Yeah, there yep. is no escaping it. But but even your the way you describe, it, it is like the worst game of suicide Jenga, isn't it? You're just stacking up the reasons. The blocks are stacking on top of each other. And I've, I've had the same. You're reflecting on the first three days of her. But I had exactly <laughs> the same thing. Like his, you, you time travel years back. And go, maybe that had something to do with it. Yeah. And it was just in the Jenga. It just keeps stacking up. And it, I don't know, does it come tumbling down? Maybe that's what happens. I don't know. They're all in my model. Yep. <laughs> Tanya, does the search for why ever come to an end? It hasn't yet. I guess I can't talk about the future, but I'm three plus years into the experience, lost Jason in 2018, we're now in 2022. And it, it isn't as hungry as it was, the search for it. So you do come to a settlement about some things, but I, I just don't think it ever will, if I had to predict. And why should it? It, it is the worst thing that could have happened to him. 
it is the worst thing that could have happened to our family um, to lose Jason. It, it, I want to know why something like that happened. I think it, if that doesn't drive you for an answer, I don't know what would. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I think... Uh, I notice that if I am around my daughter's friends or other contacts, I... I, I like the way you said you're not as hungry. I'm not as hungry for it anymore. I don't absolutely have to talk about her all the time, but I love it if the conversation goes there. If somebody starts saying, telling me something about Gabby, like I suck it in and I want to hear more. I want to hear, oh, what are the other bits of her life I don't know about? Are you telling me something I don't know? That's like such a lot of gold to me. And and maybe evens out some of that model. What did you call it? A Jenga model yeah, or something? Yeah, the Jenga game of Jenga where you stack the blocks up. Oh, see, I don't know that game. And that's that all. Game, it but... falls down. Oh, it okay. eventually, the whole point of Jenga is that at some point it right. will fall and maybe some of the, the, I think it's adding other variables into the model other than the, the fault, blame, cause, effect. You know, it's adding uh, a fullness of a life, an actual real life, yeah. which is, can never be put in that sort of model of, you know, it can't, we can't quantify life. And it doesn't stop me from trying to do that. But when I hear nice, particularly good stories or things she's done or funny things she said or people remind me of things I know uh, that I'd forgotten. I love it. It's just, it, it is so comforting because I think it helps to put that sort of um, negative quest for why and And it's a beautiful new discovery, it isn't it? It's like, because we don't get mm. to make new memories with them. No, But that's, that's a way right. of doing it. Yes. You're making a new memory. And it puts some of the harshness in abeyance a little bit. And that is so, so, such a gift. Content development and background research by Joni Janaway and Tanya Bretherton. Sound, music and audio, pre- and post-production provided by Patty O'Rourke. If this conversation has been difficult for you, if you're experiencing suicidal thoughts or feelings, or if you're just having a really tough time right now, there is help out there. Lifeline is available 24 hours on their hotline at 131114. The Suicide Callback Service is also available at 1300 659 467. If you're having a hard time and not even sure how to start the conversation, remember that a trusted GP or a family doctor is also a good place to start. <laughs>